Welcome to our podcast of our Learn Bible Study, My Week with St. Luke's. We are joined for the next eight weeks by Dr. E.B. Arnold from Candler Foundry. She's going to be walking us through the first eight chapters of Mark as we understand Jesus in new ways um, through this particular gospel. Now, tonight, her lecture has to do with this being a rough gospel and that we encounter a rough Jesus, one that is abrupt, urgent, and ready to get into the world and get into our whole beings by the way he loves and heals. So let's get started with our lecture tonight. All right, so you will see that tonight we are starting the Gospel of Mark. Last week we did an overview of the Gospels. Uh, tonight we are beginning with the very first Gospel. Now Mark is the, the original, the OG Gospel. And although he is the smallest and the slenderest, uh, what he does in his story gives birth to what Luke and Matthew will later do in their stories. And so that's why it's really important for us to spend this time really tracing the shape of Mark's story, of how he tells it, uh, not only so we can enjoy the story, so we can connect with the Jesus that we find in this first gospel, but also so we can better understand how it shows up in those other gospels. And we can tell what Luke and Matthew have in mind by what they alter or add or subtract from Mark. And so this is really the place to begin. You'll notice that Mark's uh, gospel emblem is a lion. And I wanna invite you to think about uh, that, keep that lion in mind as we move through this, because especially with what we're dealing with today, I think you're going to see why the lion is an absolutely perfect choice to represent Mark's gospel, because Mark's gospel is a rough beginning. So we're going to just look at the very first scene of Mark. The very first scene is John the Baptist appearing in the wilderness. And I'm just going to briefly read this. John the baptizer appears in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan. And he was with the beasts, the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. So you can probably see already a lot of things in just this initial scene that demonstrate that Mark's gospel is not exactly polished. We have really coarse and abrupt characters. Now, this isn't like Luke's gospel, where we get the story of how John the Baptist was miraculously conceived and how angels came to his parents. No, no, this crazy man just shows up in the desert one day, right? And he has 
a really wild and unkept appearance. He's wearing camel skin. This isn't refined look. This isn't like a fur coat. This is something that's rough enough to keep scorpions from biting you. That's the reason you would wear camel skin. He's got a leather belt wrapped around his waist. So already he looks rough. He has really strange habits. He eats locusts and honey and he lives in the wilderness. It's the place of his dwelling. This is not somebody who's um, polite or elegant. And even his message is kind of terse. This is not a lengthy or eloquent message. It's basically just repent, get in the water because fire is coming. Okay, this is a pretty basic message coming from a man who is very unrefined. Even the Holy Spirit is a somewhat coarse and abrupt character. Did you notice how when the Spirit comes out, it rips the sky in two? Now, Luke will change this. Luke actually amends this language. So it says, and the sky was opened. It almost sounds like the Holy Spirit very nicely unbuttoned it, you know, or unzipped the sky and slipped out. But the Holy Spirit in Mark's gospel tears the sky in two. And then after whispering to Jesus how much he is loved by God, throws Jesus into the wilderness. It literally says he throws him out. Now Luke will also change that. He changes it to the spirit led him meaning it sort of took him by the hand and guided him. This Holy Spirit in Mark's gospel is not that gentle, okay? It just hurls him into the wilderness and says, resist temptation, make it work. So already here in just these first couple of scenes, we meet a very rough story. And not only that, but even the writing. And this is why uh, one of the first reasons that Bible scholars started noticing that Mark is more than likely the first gospel because the writing is itself also very coarse. Mark does not write in very elevated Greek. It's very basic, very um, terse. He doesn't choose words that are very beautifully descriptive. Usually it's just straight to the point and very unadorned. He also loves to use the word immediately. The Greek word is uthus, and you'll see it in your Bible. You might not always know it's there because sometimes it's translated and just as or all at once. But you'll see as you read through Mark's gospel that it comes all the time. It's as if Mark doesn't really know another way to say what he's trying to say. So just there in that first passage, um, right after that, um, in that first passage where Jesus is baptized, the word is used twice. And just notice how the pace of the story is almost dizzying. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart. And the spirit said, you are my beloved son. And then immediately the spirit drives him out. We hardly have time to process the one thing before the next thing is happening. And so Mark's story moves at this really abrupt and fast pace. Jesus is very much in Mark's gospel, 
like the lion that symbolizes Mark's gospel. He is bounding from one place to the next. And as soon as he goes here and he's done, he's out the door and on his way somewhere else. And there's hardly a moment to pause. And so Mark's gospel sort of takes its reader. I, it makes me think of those IMAX movies you go to see where like when you're in a, when the, the character in the movie is riding a, a, a cart through the mine, your own seat starts to swerve like this. And when you hit a wave, you can feel the mist of water. We almost get that sense in Mark's gospel that we're being dragged along the story behind Jesus and trying so hard to keep up with this lion like Jesus as he bounds from one healing to the next teaching and everything happens immediately. So Mark gives us a very unrefined and abrupt story. And since we've been talking about the beginning of the story, don't think that as the story continues that this gets any better. In fact, if anything, it probably gets more pronounced so we get a very rough Jesus. Now, you may have in your Bibles this translation. In chapter 4, verses three, 39 through 40, Jesus is asleep on a boat on the Lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. And his disciples are freaking out because the waves and the wind are overtaking the boat and Jesus is asleep. And your Bible might say something like, Jesus said, peace, be still. That is a cleaned up translation because what Jesus really says is shut up. Literally put a muzzle on it. This is not an overly polite Jesus. He doesn't say lovely things like peace, be still. He says, shut up. I'm trying to sleep here. And you, waves and wind, are frightening my disciples. Jesus is very to the point, and he does not mince words. Even people who come to him for healing, and he gives them healing, Jesus is still not terribly gentle with them. Think about this particular scene. They bring this boy to him, and this boy has had a demon, and the demon throws him on the ground, and it throws the boy into fire, and so he's always being hurt by this thing, and the father says, if you are able to do anything, Jesus, please take pity on us and help us, and Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done if you believe. So Jesus isn't even terribly sympathetic to the man's case for why he would speak to Jesus like that. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, if this is what you want, just ask for it. Don't beat around the bush. Don't ask me if I'm able, just believe and I'll do it. Not exactly a real pastoral mode. <laughs> this is not exactly how you expect your minister to behave if you came to a pastor needing care and desiring healing, you wouldn't expect them to just say, well, what the heck? Well, why would you even phrase it like that? Why don't you just ask for what you want? But this is a very rough Jesus. And the kind of faith that Jesus is trying to cultivate in people in Mark's gospel is a faith that will hold on really tight when things get really rough. And sometimes even that thing is the Messiah that they're following. 
This Messiah, Jesus, is not just in his speech and language very rough and uncouth, but he also has what I kind of call a gritty physicality. Mark's gospel gives us some stories that kind of make us cringe or draw back. Jesus does these healings and they're always very, very tactile. And these differ a bit because when Luke and Matthew take them, they either tone down the physicality or they tell stories without that element. So for instance, the very first healing that Jesus does is he cleanses a leper. And the leper says, if you choose, you could make me clean. And it says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, Luke and Matthew will both tell other leper cleansing stories besides this one that they get from Mark. And they don't have Jesus touching. They have lepers like in a group going away. And on the way, they realize they're clean. And it was only Jesus's words that made that happen. But Mark is the one that conceives of this story as no. Jesus sees something physically revolting, something that would make us recoil. And Jesus moves towards it. He puts his hand on the thing that no one else will touch. And that's a really important um, aspect of this Jesus is that on one hand, it makes us cringe because these are kind of gritty physical moments, but it also draws us in because they're so demonstrative of Jesus's willingness to move towards us as humanity. Here's another one. And most people, this kind of makes us cringe. They bring a deaf man to him who had an impediment in his speech and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Notice that they just ask him, just lay your hand on him. But Jesus takes him aside. He puts his fingers in his ears and then Jesus spits and touches the man's tongue with his own spit. This isn't the way that I think most of us are anticipating being healed if we go up to the front of the church for prayer on Sunday. Um, and most of us would probably, especially during COVID, say this is not sanitary. But I think that what Mark is trying to tell us by narrating this is that this is the extent to which Jesus will go in order to offer healing. Again, um, he takes a blind man by the hand leads him out of the village and puts saliva on his eyes and lays his hands on him. This Jesus just is a toucher. He just has to make people know not only has he heard their requests, not only has he understood their desire for healing, but he also understands their need to, to hold on to something, to feel like they've been seen and heard and embraced. And then Mark does this other thing where not even Jesus himself, but Mark is very interested in describing what happens in people's bodies. And he does not shy away from any of the, the more brutal elements that are needed to describe it. So in chapter five, verses two through five in Mark, he describes the man who's demon possessed. And he describes him this way. This man had lived among the tombs for no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with chains and shackles, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. 
Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. Now it's interesting, Mark, uh, excuse me, Luke takes that part out. Luke says, oh, we don't need to hear about him bruising himself with stones. We can, we can still have Jesus heal him, but we, we don't need that piece. But we lose something about that piece that Mark as an author is trying to give us a very real description of human existence. And guess what? Sometimes it's brutal. Sometimes it's gory. Um, and those are the places where, although we can be really hesitant to open those up, he's saying that those are exactly the places where Jesus goes in with healing. I, this is another one of my absolute favorite ones. There was a woman that Jesus heals, and you probably know this story. She had suffered from hemorrhages for 12 years, and Mark describes it this way. She had endured much under many physicians. I love that they say it wasn't just the hemorrhaging that was bad, but also the treatments that they tried to give her were as equally bad. And she had spent all she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I only just touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Now listen what Mark says. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now Luke and I believe Matthew both changed this to say, and she knew that she was healed. They make it a little bit more of a cerebral, a little bit more of a mental thing. But I love that Mark says she felt it in her body. And I think that that's the thing that Mark is getting at in this rough gospel is it's not just a gospel for you to listen to or for you to believe or to think about, but it's a physical thing as well that our participation in the gospel is even includes our physical bodies. And then this is another great story that only Mark has. Surprise, surprise that all the other gospels cut this out. When the disciples all desert Jesus after Judas betrays him and Jesus is arrested and taken to trial, it says all of them deserted him and fled. And a certain young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. I mean, this is just sort of a classic slapstick comedy. Someone grabs his clothes and he runs right out of his clothes. But by narrating the story, Marcus using this image of the human body as he was exposed. We could see clearly what he was made of. He's deserting Jesus and he's naked. And so I, I think that there's an invitation for what we're seeing in all of this language around bodies to also understand that that is an intimate part of our souls. And in some ways, those two things interact and they are not mutually exclusive from each other. But here's the other beautiful part, not just that Jesus moves towards us in the ugliness of our lives or in the somewhat um, irregularities of our bodies that need healing, but he has a gentle physicality that wants to demonstrate love. And this is also something that's unique to Mark's gospel. In both of these uh, stories of Jesus welcoming the children, Mark says he took a little child and put it among them. And then taking it in his arms, 
he said, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And then in the next passage, he says, um, he says, let the children come to me and don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to them. And then he took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. Now, what's interesting is both Matthew and Luke seem to think that here's another part of Mark's writing that's coarse. Mark has been sort of redundant. He took a little child and then he takes it in his arms and he took the children up in his arms and then he laid his hands on them. And, and I think Mark and uh, Matthew and Luke are thinking, why would you need to say it twice? Let's just say he took a child and put it among them and he laid his hands on them and blessed them. And both Luke and Matthew cut out the taking them in his arms. But I think Mark really feels the need for that. The need for the reader to very visually and tactilely understand that Jesus was not content with merely placing his hands on them, but that he takes these children up in his arms, that he cuddles this baby, that he embraces it in a way that's um, that's just so full of love. And so I feel like as we look at Mark's gritty Jesus, this rough Jesus, I think the beauty of it is, is that because we've been willing to receive the rough Jesus, we get to have this beautiful, gentle Jesus because it's all coming out of this same physical place. And then of course, we get more abrupt and coarse writing at the end. And Mark is famous for his crazy abrupt ending. Now, I don't know if you have done any comparison of the resurrection stories, but what's interesting is that Mark writes first and it's eight verses. The, res the whole resurrection story is eight verses. And then the, the more books that are written, the more gospel narratives that come along, the resurrection story gets longer and longer. It's like a fishing trip story. And every time this story gets told, it, the fish just gets bigger and bigger. But here in Mark's ending, it is terse. It is clipped. In fact, Mark ends his gospel in the middle of a sentence. So you probably remember that the women come to the tomb early on that, on that first day of the week. And they're bringing spices so that they can anoint Jesus's body. And then they see a young man at the tomb and he says, um, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified, but he's been raised. He's not here. Go tell his disciples. And then it says, so the women ran out and they fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So if we, if we only had Mark's gospel, I think we'd all wonder how in the world anybody knows this if they never told anyone? And in fact, in the, in the Greek text of the New Testament, uh, it actually ends on the preposition. They said nothing to anyone because. The whole gospel ends on because. There's nothing that follows. It's as if he cuts off in the middle of the story. We never even see a resurrected Jesus. He cuts off in the middle of this sentence because why? I tell you, Mark was writing. And so a lot of people wonder, well, this is another aspect of Mark's uncouth, his, his rough gospel. He must not have been a very good writer 
That's what they used to think. He just wasn't a good writer. He didn't know Greek very well. He didn't know how to write very well. He was just writing things down at random. And that's why he just leaves the gospel off in the middle of the story. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true because the way he describes the beginning, this is the very first line of Mark's gospel. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. I think Mark sees his story as only the beginning of the gospel. It is only the beginning of the good news. There couldn't be an ending to it because it doesn't have one. It's still going on. And in fact, if we look at that resurrection story, when all the women have fled and there's no one else there, then we have to ask, who's going to tell? Who has the burden of making sure that the disciples know? It's the reader. It's the people receiving the story. We're the ones that have been with Jesus through the whole story and never deserted. And there in the resurrection, although it's rough and coarse and it breaks off in the last, on the very last sentence, that last sentence is, so what are you going to do about this? And it hands the gospel over to us and asks us to finish it. The ball's in your court now. So why is this gospel so rough? Because it's not done yet. And it wasn't meant to be. And that is our gift as the believing community is that we have been tasked. Finish it. So how this week are we going to finish writing this story, this rough tough Jesus, this rough and ungentle ride that we are in for when we sign up to follow Jesus, how are we going to finish the story? And so I will leave you with that. And I can't wait to see you again next week when we talk about Jesus and his loneliness. Welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's and our office hours podcast. We are joined again by Reverend Dr. E.B. Arnold as we settle into Mark's gospel um, and chapter one, where we meet the rough Jesus. So E.B., how do you want to kick us off in our conversation today? Well, I'd love to start talking about the roughness of this first chapter, particularly in Mark's gospel. Um, Jesus gets a pretty rough baptism, <laughs> it's 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 very much a, a, a startling throw into his ministry. Um, while on one hand we do get this gentle dove-like spirit that lands on him and says, "You are my beloved son," um, the same spirit throws him into the wilderness um, to be tempted by Satan and to be the possible food for wild beasts. This is not a gentle picture, and I think it really sets us up well for not a very gentle gospel. Mm. But what's really fascinating is that Mark's very first introduction, the, the almost the title he gives of his narrative is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, son of God. Mm. So what I think is really interesting is how do we reconcile or even identify the roughness of Jesus's ministry and this gospel with good news? And are those things antithetical? Or do they go together? 
Well, I think a little bit like we talked about last week, um, the good news, this gospel can be rough on us. It's not, it's not walking on pillows. It's like, oh, I have to change who, how I live my life. So, I mean, there's, there's a rough nature to it that I think I can, I can deeply appreciate um, because it's, it's not necessarily the Jesus that's been depicted in, in like Christian lore in the modern times. Um, that there's, there's this, it, this is, this requires something of me. And that, so that's rough for a lot of people who, for a lot of us and me in particular, mm-hmm. who just, I just want it spoon fed or easier to, to apply to my life. That that's rough. I think it also depends on, on who's listening. Um, you know, talking about the context for this and who, who the, the writer was writing to, but mm-hmm. also if, if I'm just sitting in my own space, a lot of times, one of the pe- things people struggle with, um, with, with faith and with the way Christianity has been presented and being part of a church is that I, I have to clean up before mm. I can approach Jesus. Right. And, right. and the first, the first character we actually see in here is John the Baptist, who is the We're roughest of up. them all. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so, so I think there's, also setting out if 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 I was a person who felt like I was a rough person or my life was rough mm-hmm. or I I didn't have it all together um, whatever version of that whether that's the first century version or the 21st century version mm-hmm. of it to be presented first with this man clothed in camel's hair um, who ate locusts and lived in the wilderness. Um, I'm like, I, I, I'm probably, I, I can probably do better than that. Um, right. so, <laughs> you so if, bugs? if no? this is good news for him, maybe mm. this could be good news for me too. I mean, when we think about the gospel, when we think about the idea of God coming to live amongst, uh, among us, and we think about how rough this life in this world can be, it's so comforting to think that, you know, um, if God is meeting us, where we are, even peace is rough. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something there's something really beautiful and comforting in that because uh, you think about the idea of being met where you are, but it's like no, really, no, actually, where you where you actually are in the roughness and in the the the, the tornness of this world. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's really important too coming out of Advent, where and Christmas tide, where you know, gentle Mary, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and the filters of Mary in her perfectly blue shimmery outfit. And, you know, a baby that never cries, but just looks at the camera. And, you know, the drummer joke, boy and doesn't even interrupt. The like, drummer sleeps. boy doesn't, she doesn't knock him out no. like she should. <laughs> to come out of that and to move into Epiphany, a season of aha, and go, I can mirror my life with this kind of Jesus because we do have more abrupt moments where our life is rent apart. And sometimes that's by life and sometimes it's by the Holy Spirit and wherever it is, it's God is there. Um, and so, yeah, I need, I need, and, and coming from my background of uh, a working class family, a blue collar family, uh, um, you know, a family who were in labor unions and things like that and, and living in different places and experiences I did. I like this Jesus. I'm more comfortable with this Jesus, um, especially more comfortable than the cleaned up Jesus that often gets held up and venerated as what was probably, when I look at some of the depictions we have or the ways we talk about Jesus today in our culture is more of a upper middle class Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think that's who he was. And I, I like the messiness in this. Mm-hmm. And I, I love how you all were talking about how him being a somewhat messy character, you know, Jesus, 
uh, says some harsh things in Mark's gospel, and he's always going immediately from one thing to the other without so much as a buy your leave or a how do you do. Um, but he's also, that, that, that same gruffness doesn't prevent him from entering others' gruffness. And right. I love how at the end of this first chapter, we've seen Jesus tossed into the woods by the Spirit, but he also touches a leper. And you'll see this story gets picked up by the other gospel writers, and they present it faithfully to Mark's account, even including that Jesus touches the leper to heal him. But those other gospel writers also include other stories of Jesus healing lepers that Mark doesn't have. Mm. And they don't have the touch as the component of it. Mm. Jesus actually in Luke's gospel heals a group of lepers who are from afar. Mm. And so we know that for Mark, that touch is really important. It's, it's one of the vital parts of the story. Whereas I think the other gospel writers might have been like, it's important to know Jesus could heal just by his word. But Mark hasn't touched the leper. Jesus is not afraid. In fact, it, he stretches out his hand. He almost, he almost smacks him. <laughs> like I said, he's not a, a gentle Jesus. Just smacks the leprosy out of this man, puts uh-huh. his hand on him. Why do you think this is so important to Mark? Why is that touch so important? Well, I mean, the first thing I thought of was it, it makes him, Jesus so much more available to all the rest of us. Uh-huh. Right? It's a little bit like the other end of, of you have to be cleaned up before you can approach Jesus. No, Jesus is approaching you in the midst of your messiness and, and not afraid to touch. Because to touch uh, a leopard person is to break Torah, right? to be unclean. And so I think Mark is giving us uh, this immediate Jesus who is available and not only available for us to approach, but is approaching us and coming to us in the midst of our messiness, in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our uncleansiness. I mean, that, that, that reaching out and touching speaks volumes, especially to a first, second century Jew, mm-hmm. um, for us as Christians to understand what that means for who we are, um, that Jesus reaches out and, and touches us. Mm-hmm. And then how potent is that? For us, as we as 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 we have navigated the global pandemic, <laughs> exactly. as we have, are, we are a uh, increasingly distant culture, mm-hmm. to the idea of God reaching through those barriers to touch directly, of Jesus touching directly, I think that, that that's just super potent. So not just for uh, first century Jews, but for us today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's this this nice feeling of intimacy and vulnerability to it, but there's also an implication where you see from the very beginning Jesus willing to take a risk yes. in some way too, um, that we we know the whole story. And so we go, of course, Jesus would touch a leper. Jesus is God. And so Jesus isn't going to get, le- I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I think we, we, go, we go down that route. But if you just take the story as it is, mm-hmm. this is perceivedly a man touching a man with leprosy. Mm-hmm. And so that is a person who in all their roughness, is willing to take a risk to be in relationship with someone else, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is willing to put himself on the line in yes. some way mm-hmm. to be in relation to someone. So yes. I think that's, again, just taking the, the microcosm there mm-hmm. um, without all of our additional knowledge. Of there's course. There's this beautiful moment where you start to see in almost almost a foreshadowing of the cross if we really want to like go really far down the the line there well and and the incarnation has no barriers god has no barriers i mean god says to adam and eve why are you hiding who told you you were naked like i don't there are no barriers that are supposed to be between us and so it, 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 we are supposed to be totally vulnerable and with one another and so the incarnation will not let anything stop 
us from being touched by the hand of God. And I think that's just incredibly important to people, especially people who, now, these were people who were considered, you know, second class, third class, forgotten about citizens. And there are so many people in our culture today that we don't talk about as being that and feeling that, whether it's lower economics, whether it's the elderly, whether it's people who have been diagnosed with a disease, whether it's homeless, that people just don't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. And and Jesus says, you touch, you're present, mm-hmm. you're, you're physically present with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it's so interesting that that removal of that barrier that you're talking about, um, for so long, you know, like you said, uh, according to the law, you know, you can touch a leper, but you'll be ritually unclean and you'll have to do all these other things and you'll have to wait X amount of time before you can go into the temple or touch someone else or do these things. So it's not only a risk, but a a massive inconvenience. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but what's really interesting is that up until this time, uncleanliness is what's catching. Mm -hmm. You Hmm. can only transmit uncleanliness. Mm. When Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the leper... It's the holiness that's, that's contagious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I wonder, what does that look like for the community of faith? Mm-hmm. What are issues that we have that we have these sort of purity issues around, like this can't become contaminated, but do we realize that we are the contamination? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the lo- grace and love of Jesus Christ is communicable, right? Like, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. I heard uh, recently a sociologist is writing a book on on how uh, work people working in, in as uh, grocery store workers in particular, but how they became the mercy people, right? Um, and there's this, there she tells this story of a, a cashier. They had a small little glass window where she would reach through and hand the money and all that stuff. And this woman in the line touched her hand. She said, I'm so sorry. I live alone and you're the first person I've touched in over 10 days. Um, and so there's, there's, there's power in that. And then to think about how we as disciples of Jesus Christ, the love of Christ is bigger than any sort of uncleanliness um, that we can touch people with the grace and love of Jesus Christ. That's the most communicable. Um, and that people are longing, longing mm-hmm. for that. It's powerful. Remember, remember in the pandemic in 2020 when it was we were just love and everything was love wins and just love. And we talked about we want love to go viral. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, oh, we can't we say should, that. We we want we want love to be a more powerful viral kind of condition that we can we can share and spread but yeah we're afraid to talk about that yeah mm-hmm. and it's and it's easier to think of protecting yourself from something mm-hmm. than taking the risk to try to spread something mm-hmm. um, the good something right, right yeah. so <laughs> yes. I think that's you know it it's it's our nature it's our nature to protect ourselves right yeah. it's the the fight or flight it's the um, you know uh, all of those those natural human instincts to protect ourselves but to I think there's something powerful to think that we might have, something to offer too, though. Mm. I think there's a scariness to think I might have something that mm-hmm. someone else would need in that way. Mm. So I think that when, when we translate it to ourselves in that way. 
as we're sitting here talking about and, and kind of peeling back the layers to, to these ideas and these stories, I just keep thinking about how mind-blowing it must have been for the folks who heard the stories for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he did what? Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> and then what happened? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, think it is, I just think that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that that's a really important point because I think that we, if we stop and really listen to the story, mm-hmm. we still recoil at certain things. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not that different from the early audience. And I think about... Mark has this this Jesus that has this really coarse physical presence. Like it's not just that he touches a leper because, like you said, everybody'd be like, "You did what? You actually touched the leper?" Like you, that's how you get leprosy. Um, but when Jesus heals, like the man who's mute, Jesus spits on his fingers and grabs the man's tongue. Yeah. Now we all love Jesus, but. Yeah. All of us, to a certain extent, just went, you know, or when Jesus heals a deaf man and he puts his fingers in the man's ears and we're all just like, ew, ew, ew. Like, you don't know what's in those ears. Um, Nobody bathed in the first century. (laughs) Um, And so that makes us draw back. And I wonder, there's got to be a reason for that. Uh uh Writers don't write stories like this without anticipating, like you said, uh, Jeremy, that someone's going to go, um, excuse me? So what? what's the payoff for it? Yeah. Why Why include those kind of gritty details that make everyone so, sort of shrink back? What, is it, what does it do, and what is it meant to do? I was just thinking about that, because it's as if it couldn't have been done with a word. As if Jesus couldn't have just said, be healed, and the person would have been healed. And so, yeah, I'm, yeah let's dig into that. I'm, I don't have an immediate answer. <laughs> I, I just, I, I, it's that whole, I'm going to get into the spaces you're most afraid of. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to get into the spaces yeah. you don't want me to go. And the mm-hmm. truth is we compartmentalize our faith mm-hmm. and our relationship with Jesus. And, you know, we make it about Sunday when we're all cleaned up. We, you know, we're all presentable. And Jesus is like, I don't care about that. I need to get into your crap. I need to get into your, I, the stuff you're hiding away. I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to get in there with my whole being and my whole self, and I'm going to do some very sensory, the whole sensory. Mm -hmm. um, One Lent, many many years ago, we talked about the sensories, um, uh, the Lent, that it's very tangible, touchable. and, And what does that mean to love God with your whole self? Mm-hmm. Mind, body, and soul. I think Jesus is in, indicatively living into that 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 law from Deuteronomy. You know, because our body is very much made available to Jesus mm-hmm. in Mark. Which, like Melissa said earlier, um, that his body is available to us in that those ways um, really is preparing us for what happens on the cross, which is the ultimate. Uh, thing that we would recoil from, and things that the that early community would recoil from. That is not a that's not a good death. Mm-hmm. It's it's gross. It's it's contamination. There's something wrong with that. Um, and so you're right. Mark has often been called just a passion narrative with a really long introduction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of these are little windows into what made the crucifixion possible, or did the crucifixion actually start at the beginning? Mm-hmm. You know, was Jesus's sacrificial uh, was his sacrifice already here and present as his body was being 
given in the form of ears and fingers and spit on tongues yeah. and touching mm-hmm. lepers was it already starting here and there's so many laws and cultural norms around how your body interact what what you do with your body yeah. what who touches and doesn't touch what parts are shown and what parts aren't mm-hmm. so i think there's also uh, uh, already a you know pushing back against cultural norms against jewish cultural norms against mm-hmm. just generic cultural norms and we still have some of those issues today right of mm-hmm. of um, how we treat bodies and and um, uh, create taboos um, around those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wonder if this is indicative of trying to actually claim against the Gnostic understanding too. You know, this Gnostic understanding that Jesus left his body, mm-hmm. um, that the divine could not Speak have that, that bodily um, affliction happen to us, that humiliation, and so his bodies that, are the problem. That, mm-hmm. Right, 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 yeah. right. and that's then a huge the problem. fullness. <laughs> They couldn't be affected by what was happening with his body. Which is interesting because even in this scene, when we get to Lent and Good Friday, we all have different feelings of how much we want to talk about what happened to his body Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how uncomfortable Mm -hmm. we are with talking about the blood that spilled and the gashes and the horror. And, you know, even the four of us are all in different places about that. I'm probably a little bit more. I want to know the red. I want to know. And it's because I. This is the Jesus I, I like. Is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even with thinking about that and thinking about the roughness, even of Jesus's speech, one thing that's always bothered me about Mark is the story where he's asleep on the boat, and the st- I mean, the, the implication has always been he's Jesus, and so he was having such peaceful sleep that he didn't even know that the boat was rocking. But then when they wake him up, he gets mad. Yeah. And so it's just me like, if you were having such good sleep, why are you so angry? Nothing. Not to mention what I love, and we, we gloss over this in our translations, where Jesus stands up when he's finally had it with the disciples, and uh-huh. he's like, and we say that he said, peace, be still. He literally says, shut up yeah. <laughs> to the sea. Like, he says, put a muzzle on it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that is not a cleaned up Jesus. He that, is mad. That was good Can we name this episode, he says, shut up to the sea? <laughs> I would really love that. Was it just the sea? I yeah, wonder right. if it wasn't right. also kind of a hit at the disciples. Like, will you just put a muzzle on it? (laughs) To go back to the part of your question earlier about, I wonder if the, the, the crucifixion began earlier, like that the right away to the first thing I thought of was well, yes because to be human to be born to live means to die and so that I think that's the sacrifice begins right away in that God is born um, and so I just it doesn't really fit with what we're talking about now but that that was that question that I thought well gosh that really makes sense that from the beginning uh, of Jesus's life, there there was be- there was the beginning of death, right, and that mm-hmm. the death was imminent because that's that's kind of part of life, right? Mm-hmm. And that already, it's not just death, but it's death on behalf of others, mm-hmm. right? Every one of these sacrifices that he makes of his body is to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, think of the woman who reaches out and touches him, and he feels power go out. Mm-hmm. He loses something. Yeah. You know, and so there's already the sacrifice and it's always on behalf of another, right. you know, so that, that even that nature of um, the son of man has come to give his life as a ransom for many is already here as his life is being ebbed away with every single healing that he does. Right. That's that old story of the ragman. 
right? Uh-huh. It's that from the 60s and 70s yep. of, and it's very much a, a Mark Jesus who, you know, he heals somebody, but he loses something in doing that. And then he is made whole again at the resurrection. So, Oh, that's mm. beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Well, you see, I'm, I'm looking at the order of the way the story is told. You've got these individual accounts where there's Jesus' baptism and then there's the temptation. But as soon as, as that that is done, then it's the calling of disciples. Mm-hmm. And immediately following calling of disciples, Jesus goes on this healing spree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he gathers people. He's like, all right, come, come follow me. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he shows them... Mm-hmm. Is where you're headed, right? Mm-hmm. So, so he's he's going ahead and giving them some inclinations. They don't usually get it. They don't quite grasp what's going on. But the disciples are a whole other story in all of that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think there's he's 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 showing where we're headed from the very beginning. Exactly, and I think. I think then the question becomes not just like Jen said, where do we let this very bodily Jesus reach in and touch our lives? But if this is the shape of our Messiah that we follow, what are things that we recoil from where we need to embrace this sort of gruffness where we just forget what is done or not done and reach out, stretch out our hands, stretch out ourselves and embrace something that we would normally step away from yeah. you know that's that's I think the question for the community now mm-hmm. yeah I think that's where we people need to start deconstructing we talk a lot about deconstruction that's where people start deconstructing not their faith it's not their faith deconstructing all these mores and taboos that religion has taught them uh-huh, uh-huh. about what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus and leading our lives publicly um, in a way that communicates bodily presence and that and that bodies are are used as good and love and healing which which the christian church throughout the years has said the body is bad even mm-hmm. even recently mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so all right so next week we're going to be into chapter two mm-hmm. and we're going to read about mark's lonely messiah a lonely jesus which again is not a way we think about jesus and mm-hmm. so we're really excited to be again with you next week and um, until then continue to read use your life together groups um, to live the story and then we will love god and the story in worship next week 